We've got episode 20 right here. Firstly, fellas, this one isn't exclusively just for the ladies. There is important stuff that you too should know in this episode. And speaking of, did you know that many women don't actually know the basics of their own menstrual cycle and many symptoms of having a period or being on the pill that are considered normal socially between women are actually signs that something could be really wrong? We dove deep on this one with women's health and fitness expert Holly Sinclair. Now, this episode is a little longer than usual, but I guarantee you it is worth the brain space. So, let's go. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I'm glad you're here today. And boy, do we have a hell of a guest here in the studio. So, I want to introduce you to Holly Sinclair. She's the founder of the Women and Men series and director of Cross Coder Sport, as well as a number of other health and fitness businesses. She's a qualified personal trainer, health and life coach, and is a qualified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So, she's super amazing and an absolute vault of knowledge. So, welcome to the show, Holly. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. How's your day been? It's been pretty hectic. I was telling you or the listeners um, that I've been babysitting all day. Yeah, so. that's a big task. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too bad. He's a pretty good kid, but uh, yes, covered in banana. <laughs> <laughs> Banana's good for you, lots of potassium, right? Yes, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so before we get into it, I would love to first off hear about your personal story, like where you began, so you deal with like men and women, all sorts of sports and athletes. Um, so I would love to know what got you started on this path and what happened to get you here today? Yeah, I think, well, I would like to hope that most people who work in this industry have probably ended up in it because they've experienced um, it themselves or, you know, they've gone through a process of healing um, or potentially watched someone close to them go through, um, you know, disease states or health problems or whatever it might be. So for myself, um, both of those things happened. Right. This is my 13th year in the health and fitness industry, but I'd probably say the first six years of it, I wasn't really um, aligning to being a health practitioner. I was sort of rocking up to PT sessions, but partying on the weekends. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, this industry does attract a lot of people like that because we, you do have to be somewhat crazy to be a PT, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and go to bed at 9pm. And um, so there's a lot of like, you go hard at training, you go hard at partying, you go hard at nutrition plans, you go, you know. You've so got one gear. Yeah, it's one gear, right? <laughs> um, so I think the first half of my career was probably spent not being very in alignment with what I was telling other people to do. Right. Um, and that sort of led me down to a path of being quite unwell. Um, I had a lot of adrenal fatigue problems. I uh, got diagnosed with PCOS, um, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And then I was suggested to have my ovary removed. Um, I had horrendous digestive problems. You know, I'd go to the toilet once a week. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. That's so definitely not good. Knowing what I know now, I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Um, you know, and 
and beyond that, I had other people in my life who were also experiencing a lot of health issues. My dad had bipolar um, and my mum had sarcoidosis, which is basically an inflammatory disease of the lung. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of health stuff going on and I think that sort of led me down the path of trying to really better myself and better the people around me um, because, unfortunately, you know, if you go through a horrible experience – Hopefully, you will learn from that and grow from that and then develop yourself further into being some, most of the time the opposite yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of what you were. Um, so I guess to answer your question, that's what got me to do what I'm doing today. Um, and, you know, working with people who have been told that there's no cure or, you know, you're just going to have to live with this problem for the rest of your life. Um, it's very empowering for me to coach somebody through that and allow them to understand that that's not the facts. You know, you can really take ownership of your life and your health um, because I'm living proof of that. So, you Absolutely. Know, yeah. it, it drives me insane, actually, the amount of people that surrender to the social narrative that now exists that, you know, people just kind of look at their life timeline or outline and think, oh, you know, at some point I, I'll probably just choose which disease I'll die of. I like, know. It's because, you know, cancer is so common, diabetes, heart disease. So, people just... The social narrative is you will get one of these and that, know. that will be it. Like, and I that's know. not conducive to overcoming it, fixing it, bettering your life at all. And I think um, on that, you know, Matt and I caught up uh, before this podcast <laughs> and we had quite a good chat. And, um, you know, one thing we were talking about was this whole notion of red flags. And it, to get to the point of cancer or, or severe autoimmunity or like in my dad's case, bipolar, um, there's so many red flags yeah. that your body would have given you before getting diagnosed with those things that actually just get ignored. Um, you know, in my case, getting PCOS at 17 and 18, that's a red flag and I chose to do something about it. Um, I don't have PCOS anymore. That's right? amazing news. Yeah, it's amazing. But um, I was, if I had gone down the path of, oh, well, this is my fate, I probably wouldn't have one of my ovaries now, I probably wouldn't be able to conceive at least easily. Um, but I chose not to surrender to that, right? I chose to go, you know what? No. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to be my destiny. So I love that you took that path. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the, you know, in the area of talking about PCOS and these types of things. So, today we're going to talk about like women's menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm. um, so, let's start from the start. Mm -hmm. Why are they important to understand? Well, I guess one thing to make very clear is that unfortunately women don't tend to understand um, what a menstrual cycle really should look like and the importance of a healthy menstrual cycle. I know in my case, um, I didn't understand that. I was never taught that going through high school or um, even from the women in my life, you know, my mom or my grandma, no one really ever sat me down and explained, this is day one and this is day 14. And, you yeah. know, so um, first off, that's, that's probably the biggest problem when it comes to women's health because I work with a lot of professional female athletes um, and I do a lot of workshops and seminars with um, people in the AFLW and tennis and, and they don't even know what day one is of their cycle. And, and these are meant to be the top of the top um, health women, yeah. right? If you think about athletes, um, 
So there's a real misunderstanding of of what it is, yep. you know, and unfortunately a lot of girls are they don't even have a year's worth of their cycle before they are suggested to manipulate that synthetically, right? And I know we're going to get to that a little later on. Um, <laughs> you talked my language already. Yeah, but um, so women don't really even have more than probably usually about a year of a natural uh, menstrual cycle until that gets manipulated. And then ultimately you go through most of your adulthood not having something that should be naturally taking place. Um, and that's that's dangerous because your menstrual cycle is this amazing process that takes place each month that tells you how healthy you are. It is a feedback system. Um, and so if you don't understand it or if it's um, – something that you view negatively, okay, which is another big problem for women. We're sort of told by uh, health practitioners, let's call them, that, you know, period pain is normal or, you know, um, losing your period's normal or whatever it is, but that's not the truth either, right? Um, And so a lot of girls go through their life or women viewing it from that perspective. I think it's interesting that you mentioned what practitioners normally say is normal. Mm. Um, And it's important for people to remember, I think, that normal, according to the data, is somebody that will die of heart disease overweight, right? So so a lot of the variables that we, you know, health and fitness professionals and athletes might go to a doctor, have their bloods checked, you know, whatever variables they're looking at, and they might be outside the normal range because that data is built on the average person and the average person is overweight and Mm. the average person is destined to die of heart disease. Correct. So looking at, you know, what is normal from a Western medical perspective is a sad disease-ridden reality and normal outside of that should actually just be healthy. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like um, we – I assess people's blood markers, not too often, but I do assess them every now and then. And I also assess things like stools. Um, And you have to constantly explain to people that the medical ranges are there based off not getting a disease. So when you speak to your doctor and something's wrong, that means you're in a disease state and which that's a very low baseline to assess somebody's health. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) You know, I am. Sometimes I do seminars and I created like the health pendulum. Right. And I sort of push home the message that it's the doctor's job to get you not sick. Yes. Like you, if you're sick, you need a doctor. If you're not sick, which doesn't mean you're healthy. No. But if you're not sick, you're not it's the doctor's fine. problem. Yeah, of course. But you're not There's lots of overweight people that would fall into the category of not sick. Yes. That have a lot of things that they should sort out, you know. Yes. So, yes. yeah, th- it's important to address the priorities of the individual that you're, I guess, working with. Yeah. So... For, to dig further into the menstrual, star, menstru- menstrual, menstrual cycle, cycle <laughs> what, are, what are some things women should know about, especially things that are commonly, in your experience, mm-hmm. people aren't familiar with? Um, okay. Well, I guess it's important to understand what a good, healthy menstrual cycle looks like. So um, just for making it easier, we'll talk about a 30-day cycle. But yep. a normal menstrual cycle can be anywhere from 25 days to 35 days. If it's outside of that timeline, something's going on. Um, and we can talk later about things like amenorrhea, which is basically loss of cycle um, or shortened cycles. <clears throat> but just to understand what it's meant to look like, 30 days. So your brain will speak to your 
ovaries on day one. And day one is the first day of a bleed. That's when you get your period. And the brain will say, yo, ovaries, I need you to wake up your follicles because there's multiple follicles that live in our ovaries um, because they need to start producing estrogen. Okay. And so what how that works is through a hormone called follicular stimulating hormone that gets produced by the pituitary gland. And day one to maybe day 14, let's say, um, your follicles are producing estrogen, they're becoming more stimulated. Um, and then one or two will make it to sort of the end of that 14 days. And then a follicle will rupture. And what that is known as is ovulation. So say day 15, day 16, you get this follicle rupturing. And that's why some women can get ovulation pain. It's kind of like a sharp pain in the mid of their cycle, which is pretty normal. It can last from sort of two minutes to two hours. And if you imagine a circle, okay, it ruptures and then this tiny little egg pops out and the egg goes to our fallopian tube where it sits and it waits to be fertilized by sperm. But here's the cool part, right? So that process starts to take place through another hormone called luteinizing hormone, which is um, directed to the ovaries to create that process of ovulation. But then the discarded follicle recreates itself into a fully functioning endocrine gland called the corpus luteum, which is why it's called the luteinizing phase. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and that happens in minutes, like two to four minutes. Our body has single-handedly made a fully functioning endocrine gland. Like that is just, I don't think people understand how phenomenal that yeah, is, yeah, right? Cool. And we're one of the only species that does that. And the corpus luteum then starts to produce progesterone and progesterone is your progestational hormone. So let's say that the egg did get fertilized. Um, progesterone's job is to keep the egg strong and make sure it, it goes to sort of a full term baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if it doesn't get fertilized, progesterone thins the endometrium lining. And then at some point, probably on about day 29, day 30, um, the lining will get so thin it will shed. And then that's day one of your period. And that's the process of the menstrual cycle. If you do get pregnant, this is the other cool part, the corpus luteum then forms itself into the pancreas. So not the pancreas, um, the um Placenta. Yeah, that right? makes way more Pe sense. Lots of pieces. <laughs> so, so, you know, the corpus luteum then moves into the placenta, which obviously helps to continue producing progesterone for the child. Like that process is so cool. Um, it's, yeah, it's insane. I can't believe that it happens in minutes. Yeah, and then it happens every month. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> the human body's amazing. It's amazing, right? But um, so that's ultimately what a menstrual cycle should look like. Yeah. So that's what it should look like. Yes. What are like two or three common abnormalities that most women would consider normal? Yes, that are, okay. That are really common in today's society. Well, the big one would be period pain. Um, so unfortunately, okay, so unfortunately a lot of women think that when you're using contraceptions, and the only reason I'm talking about this prematurely because I know you're going to ask me about it, <laughs> um, is because – 
a lot of women use contraception. Yeah. Like I'm talking over probably about 90% of women. Yeah. And when they have a pill bleed, they think it's a period, but it's not a period. Okay. And so women, clients of mine will say, oh, you know, it's period week. And I'm thinking, it's not a period. Yeah. <laughs> like you shouldn't be getting a lot of these symptoms. But let's say you're not on contraception. A natural cycle, bad period pain is so normal um, that women think that that's just an inevitable byproduct of being a woman, but that's not the case. Uh, a period pain, uh, my rule of thumb is if it's worse than needing to take one neurofin, something's going on. Because That's, uh, I assume, a hormone imbalance. Well, it's not to get too gross, but a period is effectively a toxic dumping. Yep. So the more toxic you are, the more painful that process is going to be. Makes sense. Um, so, And the whole thing with de- detoxification is, yes, the liver plays a role in detoxification, but the third phase is through the small intestine. And so if your small intestine is inflamed, if there is issues with permeability, if there is um, like transit time problems or bacterial infections, then your whole detoxification pathway or process is going to be heavily affected. Um, And that can be symptomatic in the form of period pain. It can be digestive issues, you know, um, mental health problems, how it manifests is different for everyone. But specifically speaking about menstrual health, period pain is, it, it is normal, but it shouldn't be. Right. Um, and so I think that's probably one symptom that women just accept. Yeah. Um, and then the other one would probably be amenorrhea, so loss of cycle. Um, that w- I assume that would be very common working with athletes that yeah. have a very low body fat percentage. Yeah. So the whole thing is – so okay. So PCOS is um, – I think the last stat I read was 66% of women with amenorrhea get diagnosed with PCOS. So for those who don't know what amenorrhea is, it's a loss of cycle. But PCOS is this notion of having cysts overgrown on your ovaries. And it gets misdiagnosed a lot for hypothalamic amenorrhea. And hypothalamic amenorrhea is basically when your hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, axis, so the glands in which produce your stress hormone are being way like um, prioritized by the production of cortisol. Right. Okay. And so the pituitary gland neglects the ovaries because there's also the HPO axis, which is what I was talking about earlier with the conversation between the brain and the ovaries for follicular stimulating hormone. Yep. Um, They go, oh, you know what? This person's dealing with so much stress and stress can come from gluten, sugar, alcohol, dairy, medications, not sleeping enough, perception, emotions. Like stress is um, very multifunctional, right? Literally every one of those things that you mentioned is normal in most lives. Exactly. Not just one of them, all of them. And the big thing for women particularly is under eating. So under eating consistently is incredibly stressful on our body and it dysregulates our HPA axis. So what happens there is the body goes, hey, you know those ovaries? Um, I don't need to support them to survive. So 
cut the reproductive cycle off because that's a waste of my nutrients. I am just going to throw as much as I can to this person's brain and their heart to make sure that they continue to function and survive. Makes Um, total sense. Right? And so bringing it back to problems that women experience with menstrual cycle, uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea is – Basically, you lose your period because you've got too much stress. And the the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland have forgotten about your ovaries and they're prioritizing your adrenals. Um, and so for me, when I'm dealing with clients, it's like, well, what is the what are your stress triggers at the moment? Do you eat enough food? Do you eat good food? Do you sleep enough? Do you poo enough? Do, you know, there's all yeah. of these things because I think, unfortunately, our perception of stress is that it's always external. It's always oh, an argument with your boss or, you know, an yeah. argument with your partner, which is truthful. But there's so many controllable stresses that people are not aware of that, like you said, spend their every day all the time yeah. putting onto their body. You know, so oh, and and anything, you know, there's that saying, or and there's lots of memes on um, Instagram about it. Like whatever you put into your body is either creating disease or fighting it. Yeah. So if it's not a whole real food, or it's something that's meant to be in your body, yes, it's essentially putting stress on the body that now needs to detoxify that compound. Correct. So anything you put into your body that's not the right thing is another added stress that people are probably not even considering. Yeah, and to bring it back to what we were saying earlier about why women get period pain from a detoxification perspective, well, the more um, cortisol you produce, the the more likely you are to create immunosuppression, okay, which is why the medical system use cortisone yep. <laughs> a lot of the time. Um and majority of your immune system lives throughout your digestive tract. So now all of a sudden your stress has affected your digestive function and this is where permeability starts to take place. And then permeability leads to bacterial infections and then a bacterial fl- infection becomes a stressor. Yeah. So now it's like a chicken and an egg situation yeah. because do you deal with the bacterial problems before you deal with the stress or do you deal with the stress to fix the bacterial problems and are the bacterial problems influencing your ability to detoxify properly and is your detoxification pathway getting in the way of you having a healthy period and you can just see it's just like this, so multi-layered oh, so multi-layered right which is why people aren't willing to do the work yeah of because course. they it's go complex yeah they, they go oh my god this chick's crazy <laughs> like can you stop talking at me at the moment <laughs> you know Holly, i just want to pop a pill but it's like No, wake up, girls. Like you need to take responsibility of your health and your life because I promise that if you do that and you get to the other end of it, oh, my God, it's so worth it because I'm living proof of it, right? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you received my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. 
Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Um, it's just a lot of people struggle to do the work and put in the work to get there. I think that last sentence is applicable to so many people oh, and contexts in yeah, life. Yeah, of course. You've got to commit to the process to get the results. Yeah. Um, so you touched on it before, but the elephant in the room, contraception. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's probably 90% of women that are taking contraceptive pill for years, if not decades. Yeah. And we're just beginning to see the long-term effects in many women mm. that have taken these pills for so long. So talk to me about contraception and why it's good or bad. Okay, so the pill. So there's different forms of contraception, but I guess most people think of the pill uh, because that's been around the longest. It it came to usage or fame. I don't know what you'd want to use. but um, Yeah, um, during the women's rights movement. So women are very attached to it from a perspective of it's allowed us to have careers. It's allowed us to choose when we want to become pregnant, um, which are all great things. I'm not against that at all. But I think back then they didn't understand the consequences that it had on our health. So knowing what we know now, I don't actually agree that it's uh, in favour of women's rights anymore because it's actually creating so many health issues Um that I don't see that as, you know, something that makes me a better human. Um, And there are other ways in which you can avoid pregnancy um, and take control and, you know, be a boss and um, all those sorts of things without having to uh, subject your health to problems. So that's sort of like where contraception came from. And the thing is with the pill, it was only ever designed to stop pregnancy. But there was a report that came out last year in America that's um, – I don't know how many people they served. Over. It was over 100,000 women and they found that 58% of those women were using the pill for non-contraceptive reasons. Right. So here, we, here we've got a problem where something that was designed purely for that is no longer actually – majoritively being used for contraception. It's being used to manage PCOS or endometriosis or period pain or acne or or whatever else um, women's health problems arise. It seems to be the go-to drug that uh, general practitioners suggest to women to deal with their women's health problems, right? So I've got a bit of a problem with that because – one, it wasn't designed to do that. And two, the research, there's too much research in regards to the consequences of the pill now to ignore it. So the big thing is, is that it robs your body of B vitamins. And if we think about um, women's health in the sense of probably like fertility uh, being the main outcome that women uh biologically are meant to do. Yep. I'm not, I don't want to step on anyone's toes here. Um, <laughs> Crushed and feminist arguments yeah, yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, from a biological perspective, our job is to reproduce. Um, and so B vitamins, everybody knows that folate is a really important uh, vitamin in the process of building a healthy baby. Um, and so if you're 
being on contraception your whole life, your folate is getting depleted. There was one study that showed that an average pill user had 38 times less the amount of B6 than a woman who didn't take the pill. So that means then you have to take 38 times the recommended daily intake of B6 just to meet the levels required. That's crazy. And if you look at B6, B6 is a cofactor in so many different processes in the body, particularly things like serotonin production. Um, It's associated with a mental health problem called pyroluria, which is depletion of B6 and zinc. And then how many women have mental health issues, right? Particularly things like depression um, and anxiety. So, and B6, I mean, there's so many things that B6 plays a role in. Um, And so, you know, that's being depleted. Then you've got B12 being depleted because when you ingest the oral contraception, you're affecting your microbiome. One research paper showed that Um, the pill had the same effect as antibiotics on the microbiome. So we know that there's some disruption taking place. Um, And when we're talking about microbiome, is it getting uh, inflamed down there? Are you creating permeability? Particularly the pill impacts something called um, intrinsic growth factor, which is what's needed to absorb B12 in the stomach, right? And it also plays a role in, oh, that's the other thing, B6 and B12 help to produce hydrochloric acid. Um, And so, you know, when you don't have hydrochloric acid, you're not able to absorb your nutrients properly, particularly amino acids. And amino acids are building blocks for so many aspects in our health. Um, And if you look at it from a neurological perspective, neurotransmitters are what we call biogenic. And and that means that they are amino acid dependent. And so if your HCL function is poor because you've been taking the oral contraception amongst other things, right? Um, How do you expect to have a good functioning brain? It's not going to happen. Absolutely. And then what happened? So there was a there was a massive study done in Sweden where they looked at uh, one million girls, and what they found was those who had the marina um, had a very very high risk of being put on antidepressants. Um, And that sort of just proves that there's a connection between the uterus and the brain as well. But my problem is, is people take contraception and then they get mood disorders and then they get put on another pill. And it's like, whoa, 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 guys, guys, you know, because- Take a step backwards. Yes, take a step backwards because this all gets done in your 20s. And then you get to your 30s and you're like, oh, I want to start having a baby. And it's hard. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. And then- Look, and I'm not going to say IVF is bad or anything like that. It's amazing for people who physically can't conceive naturally. But I do think that they are um, withholding information in the lead up to trying to conceive because it's all about profits. Yeah. Right? Like why would a doctor tell you, hey, I need you to go off the pill five years before you try to conceive um, so that you're successful? Well, why would they tell you that? Yeah, that's five years worth of income. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct, you know. And so when you're looking at a system where <clears throat> the only real fertility support is 12 grand a pop, um, you got to question that. Oh, absolutely. Like, what's going on there? And now there are a plethora of different doctors and um, alternative therapists and stuff that have got online Facebook communities, which are specifically about detoxing from the pill. Yes. And I, and I know that some of them 
uh, many of them are Western medically educated yes. and are sort of standing up and seeing the problem for this massive proportion of women, um, but they're actively being pushed aside, mm-hmm. like having their books removed from Amazon, mm. you know, having their... Well, Jolene Brighton got jo- removed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's who, exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of these different women trying to empower women through Instagram and stuff that have medical backgrounds mm. that have sort of seen the problem and trying to stand up, but that uh, pharmaceutical arm is very powerful. Yeah, and like the thing is the pill is a, it's linked to infertility. So here we have a process where we're put on it so that we don't become pregnant and yet it only makes that worse when we do want to have a family. And women are put on it when they have things such as endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which are um, syndromes that are associated with infertility, and they're put on the pill which is linked to infertility, <laughs> right? And then they as, get- long as, as well as the other plethora of issues exactly, that it causes. as well as um, you know all of the nutrient deficiencies that take place. And and I think the thing is as well, like nobody questions the fact that you're pumping your body with synthetic hormones. Like one research paper um, proved that usage of the pill beyond five years, you had a two hundred and twenty percent increased risk of developing breast cancer. Like. Well, for me, it's like, well, no shit, because you're putting so much estrogen into your body um, and estrogen is anabolic. So it helps things grow. Yeah. So that's great in the form of natural estrogen because it thickens our endometrium lining. It helps us with muscle mass. That's why when you go through menopause and your estrogen drops, women tend to lose a lot of bone density and muscle mass, but not when it's at the level of what it is when you're taking it synthetically. That is every single day, every single day. And then you're, you're not ovulating. So you're missing this crucial process of your health every single month for years. I mean, one, the average amount of years a woman is on contraception is about 15 years. That's That's a a lot of development missed. And it's usually, um, I'm, Guessing, but uh, it's a huge. I'm going to guess that it's usually in that window of like what 15 to 30, which yes. is the prime development years for preparing, you know, your vagina and uterus for yeah. for reproduction. Yeah, and in that time, you're just throwing all the bad stuff at it. Yeah, and um, interesting, you mentioned the vagina because <laughs> I mean I like talking about this stuff, but people think it's a bit like, oh my god, what did she just say? <laughs> um, but. If we if we step put the pill to the side and we we look at um, the marina and the copper coil, I've heard that's extremely painful to put in the marina. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I heard it's like excruciating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never had it. Um, Neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, but I could only imagine. Um, but so the pill is estrogen and progesterone uh, manipulating based and then you've got just progestins which are marina and copper coils but the thing is with those they lower your androgen index so they they severely lower your testosterone production which is still really important for women because testosterone influences our libido and our sex drive and um, our motivation it helps to carry dopamine to the brain so it is a really important hormone and so what they've found is that the average the average user of the IUD has a shrinkage of her clitoris by 20%. And this That's is what, with the marina? Yeah, yep. and this is why, <clears throat> why women then have painful in- intercourse because the clitoris has shrunk and they get a lot of um, drying of the vaginal wall. Yep. Now, let's just put this into perspective. 
Could you imagine if a bloke's penis shrunk by 20% You'd using that. the contraception? <laughs> like that that just men wouldn't accept that. Yeah, not at all. You know, and you know, there was a male contraception being researched or put together. It, it sort of got across the line. The FDA were pretty close to releasing it. Um 97% success rate. It was an injection. 320 men were clinically trialed. 20% of those men complained about soreness at the injection side or <laughs> like symptoms that were just a bit like, yeah, shut up, you know, mate. get over it. <laughs> so they up. pulled it. Yeah. But it had a 97% success rate. Yep. Now let's look at that comparatively to the pill. Uh, three women died during the trials for the pill. Um, 15% complained of like horrendous symptoms like infertility and mood disorders and digestive issues but that's still being used 40 years later like uh, it's just a, it's a bit weird and if we go right back to the beginning of that women's rights conversation again is that in favor of equality yeah. i don't know I, I don't think it is no i don't think and it is either and my big thing with <clears throat> the contraception debate women are fertile Four days of the month, men every day <laughs> of their whole lives. of their whole lives. <laughs> so why the f yeah are we the ones that have to wear the consequences makes, on our health? Yeah, I think that's it a great makes no sense to yeah. me. Not to say that men should, but there's something going on there from an equality yeah. perspective. Totally agree, and I think maybe <laughs> I mean there's lots of things you could hypothesize are the reason but you know that re initial research i'm guessing was done in the 60s mm. and the um male contraception stuff was done now so I, I can imagine if those results of three women dying happened in 2019 the internet exactly. would get hold of that and it'd be an uproar exactly but in the 60s when the internet, it's like whatevs yeah it's like <laughs> oh three women died is that all yeah like oh this is a great drug yeah like, yeah yeah so yeah times are changing i guess but yeah so yeah i mean there's so many things about contraception we don't have enough time to go into it today. I mean, for me, it's just all about pro-choice. Um, absolutely supportive of, you know, women in my life or clients using contraception, but make an informed decision yep. because I, unfortunately, as you would know, um, people go into their doctor's office not informed at all about what's being given to them. And we're very trusting of these practitioners. So Culture's raised us to be that exactly. way. Exactly. So nobody's going to question it. No one's going to go in there and go, but hang on a second. So what's this made out of? And da, 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 da. And that's the other thing. The pill and the, marine, and the copper coil are made with copper. And copper is a neurological stimulant, okay? And so, so many women have PMS or mood disorders. Yeah. Um, but what's going on with your copper ratio there? Um, so, you know, that's another thing. And I, I don't know. There's so many cons to contraception these days. It's linked to inflammation. It's linked to infertility, serious absorption issues, um, gut microbiome disorders, neurological problems. Like it completely outweighs the whole not getting pregnant thing from my perspective. When you can use mucus methods, you can use fertility awareness methods, um, you can use condoms. Believe uh, it or not, those old classic things, yeah. they still work at like 98% yeah. success rate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's the same success rate as the pill. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. There's all of that. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. I think I like to give people just the idea that if it's not natural, there's a cost. 
Yeah. So that's the like, no matter what, whether man, woman, contraception, disease, whatever. If it's not natural, there is a cost. Yeah. So you know, you don't have to be medically trained to just understand that, and that then gives you the inclination to be like, what is the cost? Yes. Like kind of thing. So I feel like that just kind of simplifies it. And if you're putting, whether it be the pill, whether it be chemotherapy, whether it be, mm. you know, Macca's burgers, yeah. there's a cost. And sometimes all three of those are happening at the same time <laughs> on one person. So Totally. <laughs> so we've got to wrap up, but um, where can everyone find you online? Um, I am an Instagram person these Good. days. Um, I think everybody in the industry is now. <laughs> yeah. um, so they can check me at the Women Series and also at the Men Series. I'm about to launch a online membership nice. in June, if everything goes to plan. Um, so I'll have a website up and running then. But until then, yeah, go check out my socials. Awesome. So yeah. if you enjoyed this episode, guys, remember to st- take a screenshot, share it as your story, tag the women's series, tag myself, and share it with your friends as it helps the podcast grow organically. And to wrap up, i got one last question. Yeah. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Oh, good question. One piece of health information. Oh, God. I think that... You have the power to take control of how you're feeling day to day. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's, you know, good nutrition, movement, love, sleep, you know. That was a perfect equation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. So be it. Yeah, thanks so much for jumping on the show. Thanks. We'll catch you next time. Okay. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.